the Podsky with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. Oh yeah! Brother, let me talk to you! Freak out, freak out! I just had an out-of-body experience! The insane in the membrane! Brother, yeah! And I'm here for only one reason, and that's to take it to the limit, yeah! Somebody stop the damn man! Living on the edge! Who is your daddy? Hello and welcome to the Podski. I am your host, the man of a thousand gimmicks, Johnny Bake Show, episode 69. We got Justin Andretti, we got Teddy Mongoose, and we also have JC, the Podski doc, joining us from a remote location today. And uh, we got a good one today. We're going to take a look at numbers uh, 90 through 81 of the Podski 100. Uh, two weeks ago, we went over 191. We're continuing our list to number one in the Podski 100. This is going to be the reoccurring theme here on the show. So uh, looking ahead, we got to finish up Hot Shots Wrestling, and that will finish up uh, uh, Thanksgiving. And then this is going to take over the show until we get to number one. And then squeezed in there will be the holiday award show that we did last year. So with that, how you guys doing? Good, man. <laughs> Busy trying to trying to find time to uh, plan for this stuff. I mean, going back this week and watching matches again and trying to get ready for this. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that. That's for sure. Been a lot of wrestling to watch. There's never any shortage of that. I saw I saw uh, what was it Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn in the morning yesterday. It's pretty sweet. Ooh. Got, to, got to show that the baby mongoose getting getting ready to drop off at daycare. So I'll take those three luminaries as a representation of the three luminaries here on this podcast, uh, ready to wax poetic about luminaries of the past and you know some in the present. So yeah, there we go. Let's do it. All right. Well, before we get into the list, we got to talk about what happened this week uh, as a disclaimer we we're recording this on the 12th of october so it is thursday after the title tuesday the big war reignited between nxt and aw dynamite and nxt hot shotted a lot of things brought in an enormous amount of talent they brought in cody rhodes uh, la knight john cena the Undertaker, Oscar. I mean, there was a lot of star power uh, to set the stage on what was a, a pretty good win or Tuesday night, and uh, it reignited kind of the old fires that we had here at the beginning of uh, the Wednesday night wars. And uh, we had a really good. I thought this was this was the first Dynamite that I had watched, cover to back from a long long for a long long time and i actually really enjoyed myself i thought it was an excellent show uh but what did you guys think of uh the show um interesting show um i know they had to flip the uh the international belt because of phoenix being banged up um and moxley um you know being banged up too uh the the women's championship flipping i was a little shocked by that so now in the last 
within the past week, we've had three major title changes within that company. Um, I'm not sure they all made sense, um, but I'm, you know, optimistic about where they're headed. But, uh, you know, my issues with AEW right now are, are not so much with, uh, with the wrestling itself as it is with, uh, with everything else is going on with it. So that's, that's kind of what I thought and a good show, you know, it's always a good show from the wrestling standpoint. Yeah. We'll get into yeah, the, the other stuff in a little bit, but uh, yeah. What'd you think about it? Mongoose so show the show overall was excellent. It's it was uh, wrestling is always good. Just like Andretti said, um, they are putting the spotlight onto new people, letting new people run with the ball. And that's awesome. I love seeing people like Swerve and Jay White and some others uh, not only get, you know, main event, quote unquote, main event time and programs, um, but get wins and run with the ball some. And all of that is what the focus should be. And the bad thing about it is that they're, and, you know, we'll get into shortly, I'm sure, probably way sooner than we should, being how good of a show. They just put on Wednesday off of one of the best pay-per-views that I've seen this year, uh, two Sundays ago. Um, the bad thing is that they're getting petty. And when I say there, I specifically mean the guy that's running the ship. And, you know, I, I had heard a little bit on Observer stuff uh, and it hit the nail on the head because it was exactly what I was thinking. And that's not a good thing uh, because this is Bischoff E when it was petty in the times where WWF was turning the heat up on WCW. Um, when we go back to the actual Wednesday Night Wars, one of the coolest things about the Wednesday Night Wars was AEW was the new company and they were poised. And what I mean by that is they would just put on shows and they would have little digs about, you know, the uh, over 50 demo and those types of, um, you know, those types of little needles and ribs. Uh, they had that sprint, not a marathon thing on being the elite. And it was all for their niche audience that was on being the elite. And so if you were one of the one or 200,000 people that followed that great, and you probably were in on the joke and loved it. And if you were any kind of mainstreamer, it didn't get to you. And so that's what was cool about it is that they were able to poke a little bit and have their fun, but it was poking and having fun. And when it's the head guy doing it, it, it just, it's, it's gross. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's slimy. And um, it really makes you feel like you are, you know, you're number two. Whereas, you know, when they were a new company in 2019 and then even through their big boom, when they had signed Danielson and pumped about it is they have such a good product going to turn on things like that. And that's a shame. They'll blame your swerves, your Jay whites. You know, those are the people that will take the, the bullets for this and they shouldn't. Um, so that's what, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. And then what Alvarez said on uh, observer radio today is that people within the company want Tony Khan to delete, put the phone down and delete social media off his phone. And I just, it just felt so petty. It felt it. You're, I absolutely agree with what you said. It feels like they are, they solidified themselves as the B squad now. Like they're a clear number two, which yeah, we kind of already knew that from the beginning because, you know, WWE was like, they've got a 40 year head start on them. And so like, it's totally understandable, but you know, you're right. They, they had little subtle digs and then now it's like, he's 
he came out today and said like oh well undertaker and john cena have never been on a show uh that was under a million viewers until like this week like what is that even i'm sure that like they weren't ripping a million in the early uh in, in 93 so who like who cares who cares yeah. what, what does it even matter right and well the thing about it john is they they were they actually were um but the thing about it is 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 exactly it doesn't matter and the other thing is why why wouldn't wwe do exactly what they did like yeah. why not why you wouldn't- know and 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 the thing is, the other thing that, that Alvarez said today, which hit the nail right on the head, is that if Tony Khan had Cena and Undertaker and all these people in the chamber, he would have used them all. And so that's what, that, again, that's what's frustrating to me is that when they were a new company, they were poised and they're now an established company and they're petty. And again, it's it's really frustrating because you know, for you specifically, um, you know, I'm not calling you out or anything, but I'm saying that like what frustrates me is that, uh, you know, as, as not only good, as good a friend of you are as mine, but as, as much of a wrestling pal as you are, I hate to see you not watch Wrestle Dream and not watch Dynamite and see these matches and see these characters and see these things. And it's not your fault there. Yeah. It, it, like this, this, this harkens back to when when AEW started, the reason that they ca- got so much footing was the WWE product was so bad, and so all of us, admittedly, and we say it all the time, hate watched all of the WWE pay per views <laughs> and would not watch Raw or SmackDown. All we ever did was just watch those pay per views and just bust on them for two hours, two three hours, mm-hmm. and just pray for a takeover to come every now and then so that we could see good wrestling. Uh, And then all of a sudden, AEW came on. And what was great about it was that they were an alternative in that uh, we were able to see some international or some indie style wrestling all the time, whereas that was always just reserved for, you know, basically takeovers, right? Um, And even whenever they were really, really starting to, you know, find their groove, uh, you know, they didn't lose to NXT one time in the demo throughout that whole Wednesday Night War thing. And again, the company or it was um, Hunter with the marathon, not a sprint, or it was Vince with blood and guts. And it was those kinds of things. And so AEW was able to wear that as a badge of honor because, hey, we're not saying anything about them and they're poking at us. They're scared. And now it's it's completely opposite where they're scared and the thing about it is none of nobody in the locker room is dude no you watch those matches and watch those people kill each other and watch those people give seven star effort on any show any week and none of them are the ones that are out there tweeting about wwe you know what i mean that and that's that's what sucks is that the the face of the company is ugly right now and, and I don't, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to be that way for either of them. But you can't, you can't be in that situation when you're, when, it, whenever you're in the position that they are, which is not only solidified as a B company, but it's cold. And it's a shame that they're cold because they're good. And all they need to do, I just said it, said in the group chat the other day, is if they stay the course, then people will come. And that was what happened with NXT. Yep. NXT. The second that they quit it being 2.0 and they went back to just 
characters and stories and good characters and stories and good matches, people came back. Yep. That's all they need to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you have uh, anything else you want to say about it, Andretti? I just, he's, I worry that he is who we thought he was, is my biggest worry. I mean, he's a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of experience that has had a pretty privileged life that now all of a sudden is losing um, and doesn't know how to handle it. And he's, he's lashing out. Um, and everything he's saying is stupid, is which is what's even worse. It, what, what's coming out of his mouth is stupid. Just shut and, up. And, here, and here's the other thing, man, is that that delete social media thing, like it, everybody's quality of life improves if you don't worry about the internet is as much as it's the best thing that's ever happened, isn't real, right? Like it's not real life. Anything that people say, 99 times out of 100, they would never say to your face. And it's all about flaming and trolling and everything. And it's been that way forever, man. Like that is, that's the way that the internet is. And if you are, if you are going to gauge your product on Twitter, or if you're going to fight your battles on Twitter, then you are literally Vince Russo in 2000 booking things for smart fans that read the observer whenever that was actually 2% of your fan base and you ran the other 98% off, you know, like that, that's what that was. And that's what that this is going to be. And it, it, it is, it's, it's frustrating to see. I, for the sake of the talent and for the sake of the actual operation where people can go get work and then shine and make more money and entertain us. I want this to work, man. I just, I don't, I don't at all. I, I do not, I'd not like the last week, especially the last three days. And and I just mean in terms of reaction, like the products were great, but I did, I do not like the way that, that TK has been handling the situation here. Yeah, it's you know, just when you start when you start losing games, you focus on what you need to do to get better. You don't worry about the team down the street. You focus on what are the things that we have to do to get better so that we can compete. You don't sit on Twitter and poke holes in Shawn Michaels for not being Booker of the Year whenever he is. You don't say stupid things about The Undertaker and John Cena. That's not what you do, man. You focus on what you have to do to make your shows better. I mean, one one thing I wouldn't do is come out publicly and say that you don't care about the booking because you know people are going to love the wrestling. That maybe maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, that, that's super frustrating. And damn, I like this. This sucks. That you know, because I know that I know that you guys on the here won't listen for obvious reasons but i i had to check in because i saw yesterday or i saw it on tuesday afternoon i saw bischoff tweet that nxt was going to get uh 990 and that um and or yeah nxt was going to get 990 and aw was going to end up around uh 650 and he like almost hit it like nail on the head and then I checked out his strictly business with John Alba, which I will give it to Alba. He was giving it back to um, Bischoff saying like, cause, cause Bischoff just missed things in the show, which I have no idea how you miss when you DVR something, but he was, he missed some things in the show that were just made him look like an idiot, like usual. But he was saying that he's messing with Tony is just a, 
he's showing himself as just a fanboy now who's upset because he's losing and he only knows how to fantasy book. He doesn't know how to produce real television. And now he's going to get butt hurt because WWE brought like heavy hitters. Now, granted, like, yes, they brought down the heavy hitters, but if Tony had them, he would absolutely use them as well. And they had to bring him down to the C show to go against AEW, which I mean, that doesn't even need to be said, but the fact that like, yeah, you, so what you got your ass kicked. There's no, there's no reason to continuously bitch and complain on Twitter and calling out the undertaker and fucking John Cena of all people. And then call out Shawn Michaels as well. Like, and then he said something about Vince McMahon, like there, there's no reason to do it. You just look like an idiot. Like you just look like a spoiled little bitch boy. And it's, I mean, it looks, this looks so bad. It's, it, it pisses me off. It makes it's me embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Me it's, even it. as a fan, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is embarrassing. It makes me not well, want to watch. But even though, like, I was actually, I actually really, truly enjoyed that dynamite when I watched it. I was like, damn, like, I actually, like, that swerve match was awesome. The, the swerve and Prince Nana are some of the greatest things that has come out of 2023 for AW. And, then you go to like Christian starts off the show. Like, look at where Christian was at the beginning of the year and look at where he's at now. And then you cap it off with um, Edge and Luchasaurus. Like, it was a good show. You had Orange Cassidy in there winning the belt back. Like, it was a really good dynamite. Like, and then now you just got this big old tub of shit sitting on top of it because somebody's butt hurt on Twitter. Like, it's just, it, it like really makes you not even want to watch at all well the the thing the thing with that is for for bischoff like i i wish that i wish that he could have been a little bit more introspective but he looked like a fanboy that can only fantasy book because uh eric bischoff you challenged vince mcmahon to a fight on nitro <laughs> um so what like uh, you you had you had tony shivani spoil the end of a raw so that people wouldn't watch it and say that'll put butts in seats yeah uh what like <laughs> you, do you know what i'm saying like so if, if he would have been a little bit more humble and vulnerable and self-aware and say tony i was there and these are the mistakes i made and this is how we ended up losing that actually would have a lot more cachet than him just critiquing and criticizing and slinging his arrows at somebody that's doing literally what he did. Um, that's and it's, this is this is what I mean by if TK could just delete Twitter because you know what, man, Eric Bischoff does not exist in my in my reality. Jim Cornette does not exist in my reality. So whatever they say, it, like I do, I don't consume it. And you know what, it doesn't matter to me. You, you know, like there's some things that you. And I realized that Bischoff's whole thing was that he's just going to lie about the past and that Cornette's whole thing is no matter what happens, I'm not going to like the indie style or the Japanese style or whatever. And it's like, okay, then I don't need to consume this, right? Like, because uh, why am I just going to be, why am I going to listen to things and take time out of my day to get angry? Uh, and so that, that's I, what I don't, what I wish that that Tony could do is just say, Oh, every time that I go on Twitter, I just escalate bad situations. I should stop because if he didn't say anything, do you know what would have happened? Instead of people bashing him, 
everybody would have literally been making excuses for him. We would have heard people stand for him and say, wow, they still did a, uh, you know, hair off of a 0.30 in the demo. And they were going against playoff baseball, The Undertaker, John Cena, Cody Rhodes. Like, that's a win. We could have heard all those things, man. And people would have said those things. And instead, people are saying, man, this guy, he just can't get out of his own way. He's he's a baby, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's a shame. Yeah. And I want to say that like Bischoff did say that he was like, look, I went out and did these things and they came back to bite me in the ass in the end. Like, I know exactly where he's like, he said, I understand where Tony's at and I don't envy Tony, but oh, well, good for good for him. Good for him. Was, then. That's if, what if I was he, surprised about. If, if he if he said then that's what he should be doing, John, is you will you will get you will uh, attract more flies with honey than shit. And by that, I mean, if the honey here is. These were my mistakes, man. And let me own them and let me say it. So if he did that, then good for him. That's I'm I'm good on good on you, Bischoff. Yeah, it just it really it's really soured what was an awesome Tuesday night of wrestling. And... Well, it's been an awesome two weeks of, of AEW wrestling. And then we end up with him taking shots at Shawn Michaels, which I still don't even understand why he took a shot at Michaels for no reason. Like, yeah. what, what was that? Yeah, I have no idea. It's so bad. It makes him it's, so bad. Well, what it, you know what it, you know, and here's what I would like to, what I would like to attribute it as, and maybe I'm wrong. I would like to attribute it as he is trying to be funny, right? He's, he's trying to, he's trying to pop the boys fine by everybody because, oh, sick burn, right? Yeah. And because of who he is, it, it doesn't work, man. Like that's that that's in any profession, in any walk of life. Like you can't do that. It's way different if, um, you know, if if John Moxley goes on talk as Jericho and buries uh, Vince McMahon and Triple H and blah blah blah. That's one thing, you know, because that would pop the boys right because he's a boy. When it's the boss, you got to be a boss. You know, you, you do. You have to be a leader. Like you can't. You're, you're not one of the boys in that sense. And when you end up calling out another boss like that, it's where you do look petty. And uh, I, I don't remember. I think it might have been Mike Sempervivi that I heard say that this is the truth. If Tony really wants to do this, then what you do is you get a hired hand. You get some actual like social media manager person um, that just goes out there and can say things like that and then if it crosses a line or if it gets a bad like your bad pr then tony can say oh our social media person stepped out of line he's been reprimanded <laughs> do you know what i mean like that like that's a simple fix yeah i don't know for, for him to wear it like that is it's not not a good look it's it's but the wrestling's been great what it is. yeah but the wrestling's been great and and i do need to reiterate because you said it john like you, he, the reason that Tony's not incompetent is that you give Christian the ball and let him run with it the way that he has. Christian is the best heel in that company, and he's a top five heel in the business right now. Swerve Strickland is incredible. Dude, I, I couldn't care less about him or the Mogul Embassy or anything. They're my favorite act right now. The Kingdom were my least favorite tag team in the history of pro wrestling. 
Those guys, Roddy Strong in that neck brace with those glasses on, when he called TV the devil, he made Adam Cole mow the grass in a one of those scooters with his foot in a thing. He's not letting him get uh, surgery because he needs him to do chores for him. Dude, that, that's great television, man. And these are all on his show. And so there's so much good. So why make it bad? Yeah, exactly. Just focus on what you need to do in your own locker room to make your product as good as possible and stop giving a shit about what happens down the street. Who cares? Yeah, right. You're not competing with the WWE. You're not the same product. So stop acting like you are. Take care of your own business. Keep your mouth shut. And and again, that that was that was how they got that was how they got notoriety in the first place was by being their own company. It's not like it's unprecedented with this company. They did it. They did it for three years. So go to the list because <laughs> because this 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 could go on for sixty five more minutes, and we'll just be saying the same things over and over again. Let me let me say what let me say one more thing real quick. So. I can deal with bad booking. I can deal with starting angles and stopping angles midstream. I can deal with all those things, man, because I know things happen on the fly, whatever, you know, booking's bad. Sometimes who cares? It's happened everywhere it's ever been. What I can't deal with is the childishness on social media. Like that is, that drives me away as a fan way faster than anything you're going to do with starting and stopping with with Daniel Garcia. I don't care. But I don't want to go on social media and see somebody acting like a five-year-old. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, so, uh, real, And last thing, off of the heels of somebody getting fired for being childish and not <laughs> knowing how to act and, and, and handle his business. Amen. That's another thing, because it re- doesn't doesn't that make it look like Maybe the guy that we all know wasn't right was right. Yeah. Damn. That, you know, there's that too. Mm-hmm. Great point. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to head to uh, our disclaimers and uh, how we made each other's list. So we'll see you on the backside of that with the uh, with our Podski 100. The idea behind this was to do um, a, a kind of a Podski wide event and try to get as many people involved in this that have been on the show as possible. And since all of us have so much different perspectives on things and have different um, a different outlook on on different things and different generations and international talent and whatnot, um, I really wanted to pull this together and have a top 100. But there were some there were some uh, requirements around that, so we started the top 100 with Hogan beating the Iron Sheik in 1984, in January of 1984. And we use that as the starting point because everything after that is different than everything before it. That was the beginning of the the, begin, the very beginning of sports entertainment when, when Vincent, Vincent Kennedy McMahon got his guy, Hulk Hogan, put the belt on Hulk Hogan. It, it started to transcend into WrestleMania one a year later, two years later, a year and a half, whatever. Um, to uh, rock and wrestling is what it ended up becoming, right? Where it became a cultural sports entertainment phenomenon that took off from there. 
And that that was a good benchmark, I thought, to use because everything that came before that was very different, very territory based. Uh, Vincent J. McMahon, you know, when he when he had everything, it was even the WWF was a regional territory. Um, and he probably would not have been super happy with what his uh, his son was planning on doing with sports entertainment. So that's a really good place to start, I thought. Now, uh, what we also did not want to do um, is include people in this top 100 that had the bulk of their career, the prime of their career prior to Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. So there's a lot of people that we're going to give some acknowledgements to here um, that probably should not be included in this list because here's a perfect example to grade Jerry Lawler based on his WWF run post 84 is probably not very, um, not very fair to him, right? To, to grade Harley race on being the King and not the stuff he did before 84 is not very fair to him. So we've decided to, to disclude those people from this list and start with everything right when Hogan won the belt in 84. Uh, we tried to also keep ta uh, tag team guys off of this list. So if it was somebody who the, the bulk of their career was involved in tag teams, we tried not to include them. We tried to keep this just as singles. And we also didn't include women in this list either. Um, and we're going to do a women's list in the future um, at some point, and probably tag teams too at some point. So we wanted to keep this just for men's singles with what we were doing. So we had four people come together to give a list of a top 100 on their own. And we gave everybody the individual freedom to come to come up with their own criteria of how they came to their list. So it was myself, it was Baker, uh, JC, and Mongoose all came up with their own criteria that they're going to talk about how they came to the, the conclusion of the top 100 for themselves. So then once we had those top 100s from all four of us, we came together with a point system and we gave everybody uh, a number based on where they were in each individual list. So as an example, and this is just a number in number off the top of my head. If, um, if uh, you know, Shannon Moore, okay. Was, was number was number one on somebody's list, they would get a hundred points. Okay. And if, uh, if uh, uh, Jim, the Anvil Neidhart was number 50 on somebody's list, they would get 50 points for that, right? And if in the, the you know, the number, the number uh, 100 person would get one point, right? So if that was, if that was Evan Courageous, right? <laughs> at, the, at the bottom of the list, he's going to get one point from that. So where those people were at in everybody's one through 100, all four of us had a one through 100. We gave everybody points based on where they were in those four lists, okay? The most amount of points a person could possibly get would then be 400 points. So we took the top 100 points points winners throughout the uh, course of those four lists to create our combined list of 100. So how I came up with my list, I took a list of 500 wrestlers and I kind of, that was my baseline so that I kind of knew kind of where to start. And if I, that way I could kind of dwindle down from there. And I kind of started, I, I knew I had a top 20 that I wanted for sure. And that top 20 drastically changed after I got my list of 100 and I had to take a lot in and a lot out, but I, I like to, the way I kind of graded people out was um, kind of where they were in the business, what they 
um, match quality, at least from what, uh, you know, I can remember watching a few matches and just kind of overall what they meant to the business and whether or not they should actually be on the list or not. Like when I think of somebody who is a top 100 wrestler, like, do they actually deserve to be on that list? And that is based off of, uh, you know, accomplishments that they had, um, wrestling style, character work. I really kind of base a lot of mine off character work because I felt like that was a really big part of it outside of in-ring work. And that's how I came up with my list. So for my 100, the measuring stick that I used first was the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And the reason for that is that I believe that it is possibly the truest Hall of Fame that we have in sport. Uh, the NFL and the NBA Hall of Fames have become the Hall of Very Good. And the Baseball Hall of Fame has pretentious writers that either won't vote in somebody that should unanimously, unanimously be voted in simply because they don't want him unanimously voted in. Uh, they will vote in people that have been involved in the steroid era without voting for other people that are significantly better players with or without drug suspicions. Um, and so because of that, I do feel that the Observer Hall of Fame made up of um, writers, made up of journalists, historians, um, current and former wrestlers. Uh, and it's also regional too. Uh, so you have what is to me the truest measuring stick of actual greatness in your sport. It's not easy to get to. Uh, if you look at the list of who is in the Observer Hall of Fame, it is literally a who's who and not in the way that you know we could say that yeah michael jordan's a hall of famer um but you know i'm sure that uh antoine walker will be someday too you know and that's not happening in the wrestling observer hall of fame edge isn't in there uh cm punk isn't in there at least not yet um same for edge randy orton's not in there uh jake the snake roberts isn't in there you know there's a lot of people that you can look jim helwig isn't in there you, there's a lot of people you can look up and down and say, oh, these are the greatest of all time, and they didn't cut the mustard. And so you were not allowed to be ranked ahead of anybody in the Observer Hall of Fame in my top 40 uh, or top 45-ish, uh, I guess I should say, unless you were Will Ospreay or Roman Reigns, which will be first ballot Hall of, Hall of Famers themselves. Um, so that was where I started. So my first half of my list is all strictly Observer Hall of Fame guys. And then from there, uh, what I did was I basically looked at people that I thought moved the needle. I thought that, um, you know, whenever you'd said about character development, whenever you'd said about uh, ring work, of course, all those things count. But I also uh, wanted to take a look and try to objectively say, uh, like, so if I have a, a new guy, like a John Moxley, right, um, where does he compare to a Lex Luger? And the answer is way above. And the reason for that is that John Moxley, while he doesn't have the look that Luger did, um, he has everything else. He has the same, if not more charisma. Um, his promos to me are better. He's better in the ring. Um, he's had a string of championships across multiple promotions. Uh, and he's a guy that has high match quality. And so just using that little comparison right there, um, that was sort of how I put everything together. Now, do I always have new guys ahead of old guys? Absolutely not. I have soft spot in my heart uh, that I had to try to back off whenever, um, you know, ranking all these people. Uh, but, you know, bringing objectivity into it was the most challenging thing because, you know, there are people that we all have our favorites and we all have our not favorites. And so it's really tough to say, 
guy that I never liked and not because he's a heel, but like he didn't do it for me is better than guy that I did. Um, but hey, man, this is what making lists are all about. So this was a lot of fun. And that was how I put mine together. So when I did my top 100, I broke everything out by um, by six categories and I ranked everybody one through 10 in each of the six categories. And one thing that really helped me when I was going through and putting the, the, the one through 10 grades in was I came up with a baseline um, where everybody was. So I found somebody who was kind of, you know, between one and 10, if they were a five or a six, I would kind of use them as a baseline uh, to see who was higher than them or who was lower than them based on the six categories. So the six categories I had, the first one I used was placement. And that was kind of where they were actually featured within the, within the, um, within the cards, right. Or over the course of time um, in ring, obviously was one of them. That's kind of actual talent, whether or not they look like they know what they're doing um, accomplishments, what they've done, of course, and that can be anything from, observer awards to um to championships and multiple promotions whatnot over the course of their whole career um the next one i had was legacy and that was kind of what they meant to the industry who they kind of inspired kind of what their um what their reputation was uh, the next one was length and consistency and that was just kind of like a like a longevity thing um to, to see kind of where were they over the course of time um, after the, um, the January of 84 timeline, if, if they were kind of, yeah. you know, still, still a high placement at that point. And then the, the last one I had was promotional importance, um, a little bit different than placement, um, promotional importance is something, you know, to the effect of how, how important are they to the promotion, right? Are they somebody who's, who's like the face of the promotion or are they somebody who is like a workhorse in the promotion or are they someone who just gets beat all the time and doesn't really matter. Right. So those were the six categories that I had and I gave everybody a ranking between, between one and 10. Um, most of people, most of the people were a five and above, um, cause I wanted to keep it, I wanted to keep it pretty, um, you know, pretty realistic anybody below a five really didn't wouldn't even be on the list right but um, then I graded everybody uh, all the numbers up across the six categories into an overall score and then filtered that and then that gave me my um, my top 100 from there um, but then I had ties obviously I had people who had tied scores and I had to go back in and kind of figure out what I wanted to use as a tiebreaker and a lot of times I would just use accomplishments for that again I'd look at their accomplishments versus each other so if somebody if two people had like a 68 I would go in and look at both those people's accomplishments and I would kind of kind of just figure out from there um, who was going to be on top and who was going to be on the bottom of, of that so that's how I came how I came to my top 100 for myself all right so for my list, you took a very analytical approach, uh, having listened to you talk about how you did yours. Mine was a little bit more organic, you being a little bit longer tenured of a fan than I am. Um, I needed some help going through some names, so I looked up some general list of, you know, people they considered the top 100 of all time, you know, 84, you know, prior to 84, after 84. So there was some differences there. And then I tried to filter it all through my lens and into a tiering system. So I had like your S tier, your A tier, your B tier, your C and D. Um, so, and then I tried to establish like who I thought was the best of each tier and then work around that. And my, the criteria that I used for that was popularity so like their overall overness or my perception of that um if it was something i wasn't as familiar with um the number length 
and general importance of their title reigns. Um, now that could be upper card, mid card, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and some of them don't, you know, they might not have had any meaningful kind of title, but that plays into it. Uh, longevity was a big one for me. Um, so how long have they been doing it? Like, it, you know, and Austin was on top at a very hot time, but it wasn't a long run. Um, and then general contributions I also thought were important. So I broke that down sort of by innovations they brought to wrestling. Um, an example of this would be like the ultimate deletion. So that sort of thing that was cinematic universe, those sort of things would be a little bit different. Uh, one thing I thought was very important was, especially for the top end guys that put this in as a way to differentiate a little bit who they made um, as far as, you know, the next star after them. Um, and then just, you know, some general kind of stuff, like if they did, you know, if they headlined some kind of really crazy special show or um, anything like that, if they were a booker at some point, those I took into consideration as well. So as I went through there, um, I just tried to place similar talents in similar tiers or people I thought were similar talents in similar tiers. Um, and I tried to expand my list. Like I had a list, um, but it felt skewed towards North American and like Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression, and a little bit of today. I tried to back away from Stars of the Day as much. Um, so I went and tried to expand my reach a little bit and understand a little bit more of like Japanese stars of like the early, mid, and late 90s. Uh, and so in the early 2000s, some of those sort of things where I'm not as knowledgeable and intelligible. Uh, so I tried a little bit, it's going to skew towards what I know, and that is what it is. That's why these lists work, because it's a different perspective. Um, but that was sort of how I ended up trying to come to it. it was my sense and then the tiering system, doing a little bit of research and trying to filter it all through those criteria. All right, so today we're going to be taking a look at 90 through 81 in the Podski 100. So, coming in at number 90 with 61 overall points, we got Shinya Hashimoto. So, I know that, uh, I know Andretti, he had him on his list, so I'm going to let Andretti take it away here on him. And, uh... How did uh how did Hashimoto make your list? Uh Hashimoto, um, number one thing, such an amazing uh entrance theme. It, it's 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 very uh it's very Japanese wrestling. His entrance theme is unbelievable. I mean, he's a guy that you hear um for whatever reason you just don't hear very much about him. I'm I'm not really sure really why that is at this point. Um, the guy looks like a, a Japanese Dusty Rhodes with that sweet headband. It looks like a looks like a Samoa Joe, probably more 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 actually. But um, there's a you know there's a tag team match on YouTube um, where he takes on Bam Bam and uh, Punisher Dice Morgan, aka the Undertaker, <laughs> on uh, on uh, YouTube. You can check out for free, which is which is pretty awesome. But um, I know that uh, Samoa Joe. Um, said that Hashimoto told him uh, one time that the most important thing in wrestling is the fire. And, and boy, you can really see that with, uh, with uh, Hashimoto and with Samoa Joe. I mean, he's got, he's got so much mustard on those strikes 
And his he's got these big overhand strikes that are just a thing of beauty where he's slapping slapping the hell out of people. Um, you know, Chono and, M- and uh, Muda um, were able to do the crossover thing with the Western audience. And Chono, Muda, and um, Hashimoto were kind of like the three musketeers in, in Japan at that point. Um, but those guys were kind of the ones that were able to cross over the Western audience. Um, it's probably why they were so much more remembered um, than uh, Hashimoto at this point. I mean, obviously Muda, you know, he's been he's been wrestling up until about three years ago. Um, Hashimoto founded um, Zero One, which was a, a pretty prominent promotion in Japan. Um, there's a pretty good Masato Tanaka match on YouTube. Also, uh, the guy died young, right after his 40th birthday of a, of a brain hemorrhage in 2005. But, you know, when you look at when you look back on this kind of I mean, he's he's a, an all Japan triple crown champ, became the only man in history, only the second man in history to have held the the all Japan NWA and New Japan world titles. Um, and he's the he's the he's the man he defeated for the, for that honor was none other than uh, than Muda. It was the other guy that that won it. So, you know, we take a look at all that stuff. I want to go through a little bit here about kind of what some of his accomplishments were you know, other than that. Uh, NWA Hall of Fame. You know, he was three-time IWGP heavyweight champ, um, tag team champ twice. Uh, what else we got here? We got, uh, uh, let's see here, Observer Hall of Fame, class of 2000. So, look, this is a guy that was just a, an innovator. He was uh, a, a, a very much a, a one of the one of the first guys with the strong style to come in and, and just always strikes or just they got they got a lot on him, man. It's a lot of fun to watch his matches. If you like that kind of style, like the Eddie Kingston kind of style where everything's everything's got some mustard on it, man. That this is gonna be a guy you're gonna want to go back and check out. Yeah, so I was looking. Um, I didn't have uh Hashimoto on my list, and I've been actually trying to take this opportunity to learn uh a little bit more about some wrestling that I've just not had time to explore. Um, so I actually did appreciate being able to look at least a little bit about um, Hashimoto and look into and start to try and piece stuff together. So uh, understanding that he was part of the Three Musketeers um, in New Japan, which I heard the name before, but I hadn't really been able to spend much time with and understand what that meant. I know that that involves uh, Keiji Muto and then Kojima. Uh, but he has a long list of um uh accomplishments here that you know um put him up there where he belongs and um yeah seems like a very influential person is just uh just not something i've had the chance to explore much with yet yeah it looks like he was also a g1 climax winner in 1998 as well yeah yeah and that's awesome all right So coming in at number 89 with 63 points, (laughs) we've got Davey Boy Smith. And everyone's got to love him a little bit of Davey Boy Smith every now and then. One of the British Bulldogs. Um, I, Anytime I think about Davey Boy Smith, you you instantly think of Heart Foundation uh, being in that group and... Also, with him being in a prominent tag team with, um, oh, what's his name? Dynamite Kid. Dynamite Kid. Geez, I read that book on Brett. I should know all about that. And yeah, just instantly, I think about SummerSlam 92 that we've already talked about here on the channel. Um, 
uh, from a while back. So be able to check that out too. We, when we reviewed that. So that's one of the all time greatest intercontinental championship matches of all time. Uh, but what'd you guys have, uh, what'd you guys have for Davy boy Smith? So my first thing with Davy boy is we, we sort of did this with slaughter before, right? Is I go to the Hasbro. Oh yeah. Hasbro with the punch or excuse me, with the, with the slam, with the slam action, got the dreads on. Um, he had a great look, man. And when he faced Brett and beat Brett for the IC title, that was when I was really, really into my, uh, you know, infancy of all of the time wrestling consumption. Um, I still remember uh, the, like actually remember watching the the show where uh, he went to superplex Shawn Michaels off of the top rope. It was like a prime time or something, prime time wrestling maybe. And Shawn countered it uh, in midair and you know gave him like essentially a, like a cross body uh and pinned him for the ic title and that was what started sean's intercontinental reign uh in the late 92 and then early 1993 uh when he left then right after that because i was now completely uh enamored with pro wrestling um he hopped to wcw and you know very very uh underrated thing is that he was there when the shot and there on the stage whenever uh the shock master burst through the wall um you know he said uh, some there was a, there was an f word with a with his uh british heavy british accent that's uh that's pretty famous um but he had that tag match with sting um he that so i love the wcw run uh when he came back into wwf we had the heart foundation as you had said um you know that that later run then uh after his the back injury and everything um the poor fellow man he didn't deserve to go out like that i mean obviously he was riddled with all sorts of personal demons stemming from years of substance abuse and whatnot um but nobody deserves to, to take a rock bottom into a because bobby winters anytime we bring his name up that's what he reminds us of is that davy boy got smashed into dog poop um but yeah, dude, uh, Davey, Davey deserves to be here. I'm glad he made the list. And so, yes, good for you, Davey Boy Smith. Yeah, so Davey Boy, uh, again, this is a little bit before my time, but I've been going back to this era, especially when he was a singles guy, uh, to try and watch some of the new gen stuff. I was pretty young at that point. Uh, but to look at him and, and A, he looks like a million bucks, and that doesn't make a top 100 wrestler, but... Um, just that match at SummerSlam versus Bret Hart and how influential that was uh, for a lot of people. You, I mean, they referenced it at All In uh, London about how that started so many people's wrestling careers and how influential that was. He was in the biggest places, you know, in boom periods and for some not boom periods. Uh, he held some championships, obviously the Intercontinental. He was also European champion. Uh, he had some ups and downs with uh some of the uh extracurriculars uh and things like that but um to me uh he belonged in the top 100 uh just an iconic character from that time frame andretti what do you got for uh davy boy um inaugural european champ uh you know very decorated tag team guy obviously i, I loved him when i was a kid the bulldogs bulldogs were kind of on their way uh 
on their way out um, at that point when I was a kid and, and just started watching, started watching wrestling. But that the match, the SummerSlam match with Hart is in my top five. I've watched that match a million times. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Intercontinental Champion, Hardcore Champ. Uh, what else we got here? Um, obviously, Tag Team Champ a hundred times. No, had the, had the run in WCW. Um, I think twice, two runs in WCW, I believe. But um, you know, just one of those guys that really stood out. Had a great character, great physique, strong as hell. Uh, a very memorable guy that people people are going to remember for years to come. And the the Evil Heart Foundation is my favorite faction of all time. That's kind of the height of my um, wrestling fandom was right around that era. Whenever whenever Hart was uh, Hart was a heel and he had the the Hart Foundation. So you know that guy's always going to have a have a place in my heart for sure. And I'm you know I'm, I'm glad I'm also glad that he uh, he made the list. Absolutely. All right, and. Coming in at number 88 with 63 points, we got Minoru Suzuki. And I love this. I love that Suzuki made the list. Uh, I know that uh, Mongoose is going to have a lot to say about uh, Suzuki, but I instantly, when it, Suzuki is just such a, when, when you've seen him once, you, you can't wait to see him again. And just his style uh, it, it is the strong style, uh, the, the way he's got his, uh, his hair cut all the time. Um, I, I love, I love Suzuki. I love when he comes over, um, and, and is in AW or at forbidden door and all that. He just, the, the matches that he had has are, are amazing. Um, I love his stuff that he's done with John Moxley. Uh, it's really good stuff. Um, but I, I know that, I know that Andretti's probably chomping at the bit here. Uh, as well to talk about him too. Yeah, so my 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 introduction to Minoru Suzuki actually came with you, John. And I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the first Ring of Honor pay per view that I ever bought, whenever you and Chig and Trig uh, <laughs> all came over after the boys were done with their Friday night, uh, you know, their Friday night business. Um, we watched the Supercard of Honor or something like that, uh, that year, Death Before Dishonor. I can't remember what it was, but it was whenever Cody was the ROH champion. Um, it was right whenever we were getting into the whole ROH scene with the elite guys and all that. And the main event of that of that night, as crazy as it is, and I was watching Ring of Honor television at the time, syndicated TV. And I did not know who the who he was facing. Like I, he was getting like reactions, but I didn't know why. Um, came in there, and you know we watched Cody beat him in that pay per view. And then uh, right around that time was when Axis started playing like either old New Japan shows or delayed New Japan shows, and that was where I got a chance to see him more. And I was like, okay, well this guy is a killer. Uh, he is an actual killer. He wants to come to the ring. And he wants to hurt people and show you that he can't be hurt. And I got news for you, man. I'm here for both of those things. So uh, his, you know, when I, when I think of things that really stand out, the first one um, is Andretti had mentioned about the entrance music before. You want to talk about iconic entrance music. Uh, I was at MSG at the ROH New Japan show. And to hear all of MSG scream Kazane Nare was awesome. Um, but you want an entire crowd in Chicago screams Kazane Nare 
uh, again, unannounced. It's not like they knew he was coming. That's awesome, man. Um, so that that entrance music is so great. Um, you know, Baby Monkeys used to run around playing air guitar and stuff to that song. Like that that song is all time on the pro wrestling entrance songs list. Uh, Battles with Ishii are incredible. Um, you'd mentioned some of the crossover stuff that he did with the Moxleys, your Danielsons. I did not see the Kingston match um, from the pre-show on Tuesday because unlike TK, I ain't got Twitter. So I don't know. I didn't have a chance to see that. Um, but I heard that that was fine, too. It was just a little short. Uh, but look, this guy is he just drips in charisma. Um, he's an Observer Hall of Famer. He's a crossover guy uh, that was in, you know, MMA. So he's he, in black boots with a towel on his head and dude is 55 years old like you know i i i struggle to play um dead man dead man come alive and then basketball back to back with my kid and i'm 38 right and this dude's 55 and he's just taken uh you know windmills and haymakers and um you know karate stuff to the chest and to the skull and all this and he just lives for more and my gosh, Minoru Suzuki, do this until you're 75, and I'll watch every match, and I'll love it. <laughs> Andretti, what do you got for uh, Minoru Suzuki? I don't got much other than the fact that I could watch him and Ishii fight on every card forever. Amen. Yeah, with Suzuki, uh, I've watched some of his work being on AEW, and... Um... <clears throat> You just you watch the guy and there's no holes uh in what he does. You can't tell that he yeah, it doesn't feel like he realizes that it's a work. Uh <laughs> and I looked through his list of accomplishments. He has a very diverse list of accomplishments, you know, being not all from the um professional wrestling background. There's a lot of MMA style things, so that's kind of where you get that same uh what I was talking about, maybe an aura, if you will, and a, a a strong style where you just, it is hard to see holes in what he does. Um, and he seems to have been very influential with that style in NJPW. And um, so, yeah, uh, even just in the modern context, you can feel that he's important and special and until you go back and understand why, but yeah. And the haircut. <laughs> That's a top 100 haircut by itself. Yeah, and some uh, some career highlights here for uh, Suzuki. Uh, he is... I mean, he's already... He's had the match of the year for the Observer Newsletter. He already is in the Observer Hall of Fame, uh, class of 2017. Uh, he... While you're looking at that, I do want to say... The reason that I have Suzuki so high and the reason that he obviously is this high on the list, is, you know, is partly because of those points is because of the Observer Hall of Fame. I, I, I said in my disclaimer that Observer Hall of Fame people are ranked above everybody else, because if you're in the Observer Hall of Fame, you're the cat's meow. And so, you know, I, I he was going to make my list no matter what. And because you're an Observer Hall of Famer and because you're that great, that that's how I got him there. And you know what? What's so great about him, too? Dude doesn't need a belt. He never, he's not won an IWGP world title. He never will. And he never needs to, because you could put him in the main event of any show and people are going to watch because he's that good. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that he that he doesn't need a belt because uh, he's that good. Yeah, because he yeah he has never won a uh, IWGP uh, heavyweight championship. He has won the IWGP IC title. Uh, he's been a tag champion. He's held that never uh, open weight championship a couple times. Uh, so yeah, love that he love that uh, Suzuki's on the list. Absolutely deserves to be here. Um, and congrats to making the list, bud. Uh, and one other thing we should mention. The leader of Suzuki Goon, yeah, which has since you know since folded, but you know Zack Saber, uh, you know th- these these people have come out of that state, and so All right, so coming in at number 87 with 64 points. We got to say nice things about him or he's going to come kick our ass. It's Taz. And I absolutely adore Taz. Uh, My introduction to Taz is actually from whenever he was the announcer for SmackDown in the early 2000s. So that was my introduction to Taz. That's the Taz that I know. Uh, but he also is one of the foundations of ECW. And, you know, you can't have ECW without Taz. Uh, he's one of the legends. Um, and, and having the FTW belt and just his style with the, the human suplex machine. Um, also, like, of note, he had an incredible podcast that I loved back in the day. Uh, no longer doing it, but now he uh, had a little bit of a run as a manager in recent years uh, in AEW with uh, with Powerhouse Hobbs uh, and Ricky Starks, and th- that was Team Taz. And then uh, now he is uh, switched over to commentary. Uh, but yeah, I I absolutely love Taz. And uh, what do you guys got for uh, Taz? I mean, not the biggest guy in the world, but he's somebody that maximized his skill set and really created an awesome character around that that was just vicious. Um, the uh, the Bam Bam match at Heat Wave, I believe that was 98, um, is on Peacock. That's an unbelievable match um, to go check out. But, I mean, he's a, he was a real wrestler. I mean, he's got a heck of a lot of talent. He's very strong. He understands leverage, which I think is something that – um, is a little overlooked in the fact that he's always talking about leverage in, in footwork. I mean, that's something that I really appreciate as a fan, um, whether or not that's real or whether it's he's just trying to make it real. That's something that I appreciate. Um, I mean, look, the guy just was vicious, man, always. He was always presented really well in ECW. Um, he came over to the land of the Giants there when they, during the acquisition and didn't, didn't, didn't do too well there in the ring. Um, how he was showcased, but you know, unbelievable, unbelievable career as a commentator, man. And hats off to him for that. You know, it should be stated um, with Taz. The thing that stands out to me the most with him, actually, let me preface it with: we to get off, to can't get off this entrance music thing. Survive if I let you is great. Right. It is great, man. Um, but you know what's insane about you bringing up that WWE run, let us not forget that undefeated Kurt Angle was squashed by Taz in his debut. And 
how that sputtered out, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there's a story somewhere that's associated with it. Um, but that was how big of a deal he was coming into that company from ECW. Uh, dude not only beat their undefeated up-and-comer, uh, he, he, he he put it on him, man. I mean, that was a squizosh. Um, and that was an incredible debut. And the fact that he sort of sputtered out after that's a real shame because there's there's not very the acquisition jump and ship time uh not a lot of people came in with that kind of shine and he did um but my god do you want to talk about somebody that just brings a smile to my face all the time him and tony shivani uh especially but with excalibur too you want to talk about people that you listen to them doing commentary that sound like they actually really love what they're doing. That's it. And I love that, man. I, my favorite matches are people that I know, even if they're killing each other that I know are like buds, right? So they're killing each other because it's like, yo, give me what you got, man. Um, and my favorite commentators are of all time. My favorite team is, is Heenan and Monsoon. Uh, and then Monsoon and Ventura because here and even Mon uh, Ventura and are able to play off of that and play off of each other. I I love the way that Taz can pop uh, Shivani and then vice versa. Uh, Incepit Taz commentary from Botchamania is my favorite segment every week. Um, somebody should play that. It's Taz uh, right now. You should you should splice that into the YouTube thing here, John, so that the folks can see it. Matthew, you're you're a beast for that. So yeah, good on you, Taz. You, I'm happy you're on the list. Yeah, and uh, Taz was a, an ECW World Heavyweight Championship, FTW uh, World Heavyweight Champion, the ECW Television Championship, uh, and he was Hardcore Champion three times, uh, and uh, he was Tag Team Champion uh, with Spike. And, uh, and and that really does suck about what happened with Taz in WWE because he, he came out, he squashed, clean as a sheet, killed Kurt Angle, in that Royal Rumble, and the only reason that it got killed was because word got round from the boys back to Vince that he was a not a safe worker, and then that they ran amok with it, and that's basically what happened to Taz. That's why he got instantly cut off at the knees right away. Um, so which really sucks because I feel like. Another thing about Taz, too, is that like, he didn't feel like he was awesome, but like he always felt like a guy that like Vince probably wouldn't know what to do with. Uh, I don't know if that's based off size or not, but whenever he came in, like around that uh, 2000s mark, it was it, I think he came in in 99. So um, like he was right in the wave of whenever like the radicals were in there and with uh, Benoit and Eddie and Malenko and Saturn and all them. So he was in the mix with all of with all of that going on. So it just really sucks that he got cut off, but he ended up making a hell of a career out of it in the uh, in the commentator role. Yeah, I think him and Ishii are pretty similar guys in some respects. And that's a 
that's a hell of a, a hell of a uh, group to be compared to, you know, those two guys compared to each other. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of who they are, man. You know, smaller guys that were able to just maximize their own, their own uh, skill set and just be presented and present themselves like they were bigger than life. And that it's not an easy feat to do that. That's actually like, that's actually a perfect uh, comparison is him and Ishii because you think of Ishii as being like six foot four, 948 pounds. And the dude is five, three, like a buck 89 you know, but but just the way that he can stand in there and take heat and give it. Yeah, that, that's good job, Andretti. That's you hit the nail on the head. Uh, so, Taz, uh, I had to go back and learn a little bit more about this. I know Taz from commentary, mostly. Uh, and I've tried to go back and watch some ECW. I haven't gotten as far into it uh, being a new fan, but... Um, you just he's another one of those guys that just like absolutely has this aura and mystique about him uh, as far as being a wrestler and the intensity with which he works and the respect that he has garnered uh, wherever he's been. Uh, and I was looking through his list of accomplishments today and apparently tapping out in wrestling uh, is something that he brought in uh, after his neck injury, uh, according to. Uh, our sources so that's i mean right there that's an innovation alone we expect that now it's not just a pass out we you know you want to see somebody give up um and then he had some you know big time feuds shane douglas sabu um all the main players in um ecw and unfortunately he didn't get that great of a shake when it came to wwe i think he was just in the wrong era um and that's very unfortunate. He came in uh, and just kind of got squashed. But, um, yeah, legit tough guy in the ring. So, definitely. All right. So, coming in at number 86 with 64 points, we got Drew McIntyre. And I know that this is a big one for uh, the pods he doc JC. He absolutely loves Drew McIntyre, and so we'll get to him and what his thoughts are. But yeah, I for somebody like McIntyre, who was like the chosen one appointed by Vince McMahon on television, and you know for him to uh, get fired and then have to go out on his own in the indie scene, very much like Cody Rhodes did, pretty much the innovator of that, basically because. A lot of people ended up doing the same things Drew McIntyre did kind of at the same time or and or right after. Uh, but McIntyre was one of the big ones that whenever he came back, went to uh, NXT, was an NXT champion, then gets called up to the main roster, uh, gets, you know, gets the world title uh, a couple times. And, you know, he had a hell of a uh, run last year with Sheamus and the IC title matches with Gunther. Um, he was in WrestleMania this year in that triple threat. He's he's done a lot. And it's really crazy that somebody who was appointed as the chosen one to be um, literally fired and then brought back. I mean, it really says a lot to the guy. He really, he really went out and reinvented himself. Drew McIntyre. So talk about a guy with a long story. 
comes in to WWE really, you know, as the chosen one, as it were, and, um, you know, had a big future, kind of flamed out a little bit and worked his way back and is a top guy there. Um, very interesting what they're doing with him now, um, where he's kind of like a, a pseudo baby face, um, but also kind of a heel. He's in that gray area, which they don't do too often. So it's a little weird to see. Um, but he, the thing that really put him on the map for me was I was getting back into wrestling at the beginning of the pandemic. And he was their top guy. He, at that point, he was the WWE champion at that point. Um, and as a full-fledged Stone Cold babyface, um, you know, he really carried, carried that championship and ostensibly that company uh, through the pandemic. Um, just seems like a good company man. Uh, it's hard to see holes in his work. I mean, he might miss a Claymore here and there, but, um, and just seems like a, a good, loyal uh, guy. So, and just what he's gone through up and down and then what he means now to that promotion. Um, yeah, had to give it to him. Had to give him his stripes there. Letting people go ends up being the best thing for their career. And McIntyre's even, you know, he said in the past how immature he was at that point in his life, you know, getting everything so quick, handed to him, went to his head. And hats off to him for being able to recognize that. I mean, you when you when you look at this guy, I mean, there's few people in wrestling history that can do what this guy can do. I mean, he's a big, super athletic, long, mean looking dude, man. And when you look at that guy, I mean, he's just, he's such a larger than life character. Um, I, I had him on my list. I know, um, I think um, JC and uh, Mongoose did too. You know, we all had him on our list somewhere. Um, but what, he just from a, phys- from a physical standpoint, there's not very many people in the world that can match him. And, and I, I would think that it, at some point too, it can be a little bit difficult to book a person like that. And even though he can work both sides of the aisle and do it pretty well, um, there's there's not always a plethora of people to put him against that are his size. And if he's going against people who are much smaller than him, sometimes that can be a challenge about whether or not that person can work with a smaller opponent or if a smaller opponent can work a bigger opponent, right? So there's a little bit of a challenge with a guy like that, but the thing that's always stood out to me about McIntyre, and he's not he's not one of, he's not one of my favorite guys in the world or anything, but I do really respect him, and I, I give him a lot of credit for for kind of being the babyface of that company during a really bad time, you know, two years ago, three years ago. But um, just the fact that he he's so he's so so big and so athletic, and he's so like. Uh, imposing with everything that he does, what they're doing with him right now, kind of straddle in that line between heel and face, I think is awesome. It's it's really it's really great right now with, with where he's at. Um, I I I like him more and more that I see him, and the more that I think about him over the course of time, um, McIntyre to me is probably going to be a guy that even though he was Universal Champion during the COVID era when there were no fans. I believe that history is going to be really favorable to him over the course of time. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, he's my my introduction to Drew came with 
right around the time that I sort of watched in NXT, you know, Jay Bay and Triggy and the boys. Uh, and he was great. He was an excellent, excellent NXT champion. Um, to hear, uh, you know, to, to go sort of go back and see all of those things because I wasn't there in live time to have seen his uh, rise and then fall and then firing and then go to TNA and all of that. Uh, but that 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 sort of makes the man. Um, you guys, I'm not going to repeat everything that you guys already said about that, but it's very endearing. Um, and especially whenever we're looking at people that should be like the top of the top to me, if you had it all and lost it all and then got literally all of it back and then more, uh, then that says a lot. And not only that, um, was the chosen one that was cut and brought back in and rebuilt himself uh, into, you know, this monster in NXT and then came to the main roster and he was not somebody that was lost in the shuffle the way that we saw your Bobby Roods and even to an extent Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, this guy came in and people forget he beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. You know, like this dude pinned Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 2019. I don't remember the year, forgive me. Uh, but, you know, the, the shameful thing about that is, is that his title reign came when there were no fans. However, uh, he's he's just he's just worked so uh you know i i belt until baby mongoose graduates high school like i get that um by the way she's in first grade so we we understand that roman will have this belt for hundreds of thousands of days uh but I, that was the first time that I really thought that he should have lost Roman. That is, uh, was to Drew at Cardiff. Um, because I thought that the build to that was excellent. And I thought that Drew was the guy. And I wish that I do wish that they would have pulled the trigger to see what would have happened. Now they would have never had the bloodline and all that. So, you know, I guess there's that because that was actually solo's debut, right? Um, solo debuted there and gave drew yeah. the spike, I believe. Um, but this guy's great. The, those those Gunther matches, as you said, were incredible. Um, the Sheamus matches are incredible. And the best thing about him being a tweener, as Andretti said, is that he can, on any given week or pay-per-view or whatever, do something super baby-facey and get the pop of the year. I do hope that they have something up their sleeve with him. Because it's not very often that you have somebody that can toe a line like that. Uh, and, and so good booking will put him into the super stratosphere, I believe. And I'm happy that he made the list. Yeah. And it's really funny that the one thing that I wanted to mention was that this he might not feel like this is a bright spot because it was his downtime. It was his downturn in WWE. But I need to give some love to the three-man band because I love 3MB. Uh, and just the fact that he went from three MB to what he is now is, uh, you know, hats off to that guy. Uh, he's been, a somebody, somebody mentioned it on raw this week. I forget who it was. Yeah. I can't, I, yeah, I heard it. I can't remember it either, but, um, <laughs> he is a, uh, two-time WWE champion, a intercontinental champion, NXT champion, a uh, tag team champion twice. So, uh, he's a triple crown champion in WWE. So. Uh, and he's got, he was the 
uh, TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he's, I mean, he's got he's got a lot of accolades here, and uh, just hats off to uh, Drew and happy uh, that he made it on the list. Yeah, all those Sheamus matches are great, like uh, like Mongo said. But if you're looking for one to watch this weekend, the Fast Lane 2001 versus Sheamus match on Peacock is really good. Mm-hmm. So, all right, coming in at number 85 with 69 points, Kenta Kobashi. So, uh, I know Andretti has got a lot to say about Kobashi, so uh, we're going to hand it over to him. Yeah, Kobashi, I mean, this is a guy that I've been going back now um, years later and really watching. Um, I mean, when you take a look at this dude, he just looks like such an ass kicker, man. He he looks tough as hell. He's thick with muscle. He looks like a real powerhouse. I mean, when you think in your, think in your head, what does a professional wrestler look like? You're probably going to see Kenta Kobashi's physique in your head whenever you start thinking about what that is. But, I mean, a guy that just took so much punishment – and just beyond tough, man. I mean that the the, the Kensuke Sasaki match uh, with him is is from Destiny 2005, probably in my top three favorite matches ever. I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I can't even name one that I like more than that right now off the top of my head. But that's it's in my top three for sure. Um, there is a ridiculous uh, back and forth chop session with those guys. It's just gonna make you want to stand up and just and just clap at that point. I mean. He had wars with uh, Misawa, 735-day title reign is still the record in Japan. The dude has been an unbelievable draw for, for decades. Um, there's the, the Samoa Joe match in, in ROH um, was his first real U.S. match. And you can find that um, on YouTube um, with Rick Bonney doing the commentary after the fact. So um, actually, you can go on there and, and just and just listen to, to Rick Bonney kind of riff on what it was like in in ROH during that time and just call that match, you know, in retrospect, unbelievable, man. And, and that, that match really did wonders for ring of honor among the smart fans and especially for the international audience. I mean, I, I know Samoa Joe said at one point that Kobashi was backstage and he was kind of freaking out about nobody's going to know who the hell he is. And Samoa Joe was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you're the biggest, you're one of the biggest wrestling stars in the whole world, you know, outside of the U.S. And of course, when he came out, everybody knew who he was. I mean, those those fans in the Ring of Honor knew who everybody was at that point, and, and they gave him a, a hell of an ovation. I mean, that match is unbelievable with him and Samoa Joe. Um, just an absolutely amazing amount of great matches, enormous legacy, enormous amounts of respect from his peers. Um, I know he showed up a couple of weeks ago on one of those shows in that subway car. And, and started punching somebody or laying somebody out or something. But I mean, there, I, I can't say enough good things about that guy. And that, that Kensuke Suzuki match with the chops from destiny 2005 is on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. So if you want to go check that out, man, that's like a 27 minute match. Like I said, it's in my top three of all time. And, and just the way that this guy just hammers on people and how much punishment that he's able to take and just the 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 physicality of him is probably the the number one thing I keep going back to, man. But boy, am I glad I went back and started watching that guy's matches again, man, because he's he shot up the list of my personal favorite wrestlers of all time. He's shot way up that list in the last couple months after me going back and, and checking that stuff out. So he's a guy that he's a guy you want to go back and you want to you want to get acclimated with ASAP. It should be should be noted too. Um, I, I, I did not rate Kabashi. 
trade him. Um, it, that's not his fault. That's mine. Right. Uh, but I do want to note that if I had that he would be very high. And the reason that he would be very high sight unseen uh, is that this dude has the third most five star matches ever. Um, so Will Ospreay, if you did not know, has the most five-star matches ever. Uh, Will Ospreay has 29 five-star matches, single matches. Um, number number one was, before he was supplanted by Ospreay, now number two uh, is Misawa with 25. And Kabashi has 23 five-star matches. So this guy needed to be on this list, and I'm very glad that he is on this list. So bless the child. Kenta Kabashi, 23 five-star matches. You're okay by me. All right. So Kabashi was another one that I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about. And I tried to spend a little bit of time learning here uh, and just understanding his place and, you know, what what he meant to Japanese wrestling. Um, and just to understand that he's really just one of the biggest and one of the biggest guys and one of the more influential people. Um, and to just understand that that was really where he came from and what he was known for. Uh, he kind of worked all over in Japan, uh, was part of that exodus to create pro wrestling Noah. Um, and then he worked over here in the States. There's a, a match with Samoa Joe that is highly regarded. You can catch that. You can actually catch that on um, on YouTube with Riccoboni doing commentary. Oh, wow, that's probably got to be pretty good then. So him, Riccoboni went back, went back and gave another look to that match and did the commentary on top of it. Um, you know, in retrospect, it's it's really great. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. Just uh, but yeah, he's another guy where he's one I got to track down more information on and see some of his work. Yeah, Kobashi is also a Observer Hall of Famer, class of 2002. Uh, he also has match of the year six times in the Observer. Uh, three of them were with Masawa in 98, 99, and 2003. Uh, that Joe match that you mentioned, Andretti, was match of the year for the Wrestling Observer for 2005. So he literally won it 92, 98, 99, 2003, 2004, and 2005. Like, that's a hell of a run. That's a match, of a match of a match of a year thirteen years apart isn't is it's insane. Yeah, it's it's that that's that's Shawn Michaels level. You know, there's not there's five or six people in the history of the sport that would be able to pull that off. So hats off. He also won Wrestler of the Year in 1996 and from 2003 into 2005. So he's been Wrestler of the Year four times in the Observer. That's insanity. Yeah, I mean, he. I'm looking at the list here too. I mean, you're talking about a three-time All Japan Triple Crown champ, um, the Noah champion. I mean, the guy. It's there's the Wrestling Observer Awards that he has. It's just that's a longer list than anything I've seen in a long time, man. I mean that, like you said, the match of the year. He's got best maneuver. You box office draw. I mean. At one point, at one point, Kabashi's probably the the biggest draw in the world. At one point, so it, crazy, man. It's crazy that that uh, that you know more people in the West didn't get to enjoy this guy's run, man. But God, you go back and you watch that guy's matches, man. You're not going to be disappointed because you're going to see a big, tough son of a bitch in there laying into people and 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 getting laid into himself, and you're going to be like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, number 84 coming in with 70 overall points. Pero Aguayo. And I know Andretti, he's got another one for us again because he made it on his list. So uh, give it to us, Andretti. Yeah, some of these guys got a lot of points because I had them. I had them really high on on my list. But um, Aguayo, you know, look, he he had a really great run prior to '84. Whenever we started the clock, but the reason why Paraguayo makes it for me is because of everything he did post '84, which is just incredible. This guy's had an incredible run. Um, you know, there's a really great. Um, a really great bio piece by a guy named Alfredo Esparza that's on Lucha World on the Lucha World website. If you want, to, if anybody wants to Google that and go read this this really great write up that this guy did on his whole life, which I I read it a couple times. And I was like, man, this guy does really good work on the site. Um, he's one of the greatest Mexican wrestlers ever, man. I mean, he, he 35 year career as a top draw. I mean, he's he's probably right behind. The, the really big names like Santo and Blue Demon and, and, and Mascaris and guys like that. I mean, he's he's got to be right up there with that. But despite the fact that he was um, predominantly a heel, I mean, the guy was extremely popular his whole career. And it's because of his charisma. I mean, he he just when you look at this guy, man, like the appearance of him is is just so outstanding. I mean, in a in a in a, an environment where people are wearing masks and everybody's really colorful and things like that. I mean, Aguayo is a guy that just has this really thick kind of shaggy, you know, dark hair, big furry boots. He's got, he's got scars all over him. Not a, not a great looking dude. I mean, he, when he first started, he was kind of a good looking guy, but you know, when you talk about what he ended up looking like years later, man, I mean, he just looked like a freaking, like a freaking killer by the, by the time he was, uh, by the time he was done. But I mean, he's just, you know, super aggressive guy. Um, I, I think Meltzer said at one point that he's kind of like the Mexican Terry Fox. So that's probably a, a good way to kind of look at, look at, you know, what he was, but, um, you know, at a time when EMLL, you know, early to mid seventies needed to create um, new stars, there was nobody hotter than Paraguayo. And he kind of was just a guy that fit into a, you know, fit into a spot and the timing was perfect for, for him at that point. Um, I mean, he was booked into an enormous match. Again, man, I know that we're talking about post post eighty four, but there's still some stuff, you know. Since his career is so much, you know, on both sides of that line, I kind of w- just wanted to bring it up. And he had an enormous match in uh, in 1975 against El Santo. That kind of was the one that made him made him the star that he was. I mean, that was kind of his big match. Um, and look, man, then you fast forward to our timeline as of eighty four, and at this point, um, Aguayo's still having an amazing career. It would last several more decades, but the the focus at that point really was on the feuds and not so much really on on titles at that point. And, and you know the thing about just lucha libre in general, I mean they don't they don't really treat the belts um, the same way that that we do in um, in the in the United States, right? They they just don't. It's it's more about kind of whoever has the whoever is holding a belt ends up making a belt really popular. In that moment, right? And, and look, CMLL um, has got a million belts right now, right? And, and, and if you ask somebody, like, what's the main belt? I mean, people are going to tell you different things because there's there's guys that are super over that might be holding like a junior title, and that might that might actually be the most important title in their in their promotion in, in that given moment, right? So, but for for Aguayo, 
Um, it was more about the feuds. It, it, Post-84 is more about just having these long-standing, amazing feuds. He had a, a, the early 90s major feud with, um, you know, hot young Conan, um, hair versus mask. Aguayo ends up winning that and taking Conan's mask. That, ma- that match is on YouTube, man. You can go watch that match right now for free if you want to go watch it. But, um, you know, AAA um, starts in 92. And Aguayo is basically the biggest star in Mexico at that point. Um, he signs with AAA. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this last night. A good way to probably look at that, you know, with, with AAA just starting and then bringing in a really established star is kind of like Jericho, right? It's kind of like AEW bringing in Jericho. So if you think about it like that, it would be it would be like him being AAA's um, uh, Chris Jericho when they signed him at that point to come in. And uh, and be a and be a big star at that point. But um, the 1994 um, blood match with Conan, um, the first ever triple uh, AAA pay per view was here in LA. I mean that unbelievable match, man. If you can find that and you can watch it, please go do it. Um, but when everybody bailed um, Mexico for WCW, whenever um, whenever the um, the economy was bad there in, in Mexico, and everybody jumped ship and came to WCW, whenever. Uh, you know, during that during that big run there in like the the mid to the mid to late nineties, um, um, Aguayo stayed. Aguayo stayed in Mexico at that point um, and became one of the major stars again. Man, he was just some, uh, you know it, it, uh, he was the timing was there for him multiple times in his career. The timing was really there. Um, he ended up wrestling. He actually wrestled at the Royal Rumble ninety seven um, in San Antonio in a trios match. Um, look, if you go back and watch that match right now, that's kind of he's a little slow <laughs> at that point at that point in his career he's a little slow but i mean you can just tell man whenever they're whenever he's walking back um from the ring um to um you know to the locker room after that match is over man you can just tell how 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 important that 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 moment was for him and he's slapping hands with the crowd he's got a big smile on his face and like you know getting to perform in front of that many people you know in the US is a big deal um for them and i look in the same vein i got to give my hat off to uh Head off to JR for that too, man, because because Ross came to that match so prepared to call that match and gave everybody in the ring equal amount of time and had good facts, good stories about all those guys that were in that match who nobody in the U.S. had any idea who the hell those guys were that were in that match. And look, and you know what, man, I, and I also got to give credit. I got to give credit to Jerry Lawler and when calling that match too, because Lawler showed a lot of restraint and didn't say anything stupid. He just was a, he was a normal person who didn't who who didn't know any of the guys in the ring who just sat there gave a little bit of commentary when he needed to didn't say anything dumb and was a a human being in the uh, in the commentary booth but you know McMahon was the one that was the the main commentator at that point McMahon did okay in that match and, and McMahon you know at times we all know kind of can get a little can get a little bored during a match and maybe start saying stupid things here and there. But I really got to give, I got to give, especially Ross, especially McMahon and, and, you know, and, and even Lawler to credit for that Royal Rumble trios match, man, because that crowd was super dead. The crowd was super dead. Nobody knew who the hell those guys were. It was a very different, very different uh, style than what the what the fans were were used to. But look, man, if you want to go and you want to check that match out, it starts out a little rough. But there's really good lucha action throughout that match, and Hector Garza's in that match. Garza ends up being a badass in TNA, you know, not too long after that. So uh, there's a there's a lot of good reasons to go and go and check that out. Um, what else I had written down here, you know, it, it should it, it should probably be mentioned um, that his son, um, Pero Guayo Jr., got into wrestling and was really a hot, hot young up-and-comer 
Uh, they even kind of mentioned him in that Royal Rumble match, which was which was sad because apparently um, uh, Perro Guayo Jr. wrestled a dark match before uh, before the Royal Rumble went on the air that year. But um, he passed away in the ring. He died in the ring. And, and Rey Mysterio was the one that, that was involved in that. And, you know, that he got absolved of everything. You know, the family was very much in support of Rey Mysterio. And they said it wasn't his fault. Please don't, you know, think that it was your fault and things like that. But what's really cool about that story is that um, – you know, Rey Mysterio ended up being a pallbearer at um, Paraguayo Jr.'s um, uh, funeral, and he went to the funeral without a mask. He he went there as himself, and that was a that was a major deal. As I'm sure you can understand, that was a major deal for him to do that. Um, you know, Paraguayo then ended up um, retiring, um, and he ended up passing away on his own a couple of years ago in 2019. But man, when you look back on that guy's legacy and just being a being predominantly a heel just a really, you know, nasty looking guy that stood out so much against everybody around him that, that had all these colorful, all these colorful moves and these colorful tires and things like that. I mean, just a, what a, what a run that guy had, man. All right. So uh, coming in at, oh, I, before we move on, I also want to mention that uh, Paraguayo was also um he was also a uh, Hall of Fame. He was put in the Hall of Fame in nine, or, uh, 2015. So, like, obviously, Observer Hall of Famer. So good on him as well. All right. And moving on to the next one at 83, coming in with 78 points, we have Ricky Choshu. So uh, I know about Ricky Joshu just from hearing Meltzer talk about him on the shows before. Um, I, but I know that Andretti, again, you, you got three back to back here. So uh, give us your, uh, give us uh, your stuff on Ricky Joshu. I don't have a ton of stuff on Choshu. Um, five decade career. You can't stress that enough. This guy wrestled for 50 years, man. Um, born in Korea, 1972 summer Olympian, you know, went to the Olympics that year. Um, great wrestler, man. You know, maybe, maybe even a, a better booker. I mean, the guy took over as booker in New Japan in that 90s run when they were really hot. Um, trained by Anoki, super over, charismatic. You know, you you another guy with an unbelievable entrance theme. You know, you, these these like iconic Japanese entrance themes throughout the course of their wrestling history. Um, Chosu's right up there with that stuff, man. I mean, there's a um there's a pretty good Ric Flair match. That that guy Ric Flair is pretty good. Ric Flair is a pretty good wrestler. So yeah, there's a there's a really good Joshu match with Flair on YouTube. Um, you know he left New Japan. He came back with more stature. And again, man, so like we were saying earlier, you know sometimes it's better for people to leave and then come back and they've got a little more power at that point. You know, and they're maybe a little more mature, got a little more power. You know, a little more sway. Um, he came back to New Japan. Um, I know he, over the course of time, he started a few promotions like, ja like Japan Pro Wrestling, whatnot. Um, Choshu, man, just you watch that guy's matches in, in, in his heyday. Another guy who's laying it in there. He's a slower paced guy. Um, the funniest thing about him, I think, is just the fact that when he goes to put people in that sharpshooter slash scorpion deathlock, it takes so long for him to get people in that mat into that move. And it's really funny to see it. Just, you know, we're we're so we're so used to seeing, you know, Sting or Hart throw people in that move and whip them over and they tap out in 10 seconds, right? But when Joshu started doing that move, 
it was this like really slow pace, like like really working to get the guy over. And I look, I had this, I had to laugh when I went back and started watching that because I I know what he's trying to do, but we're so, we're so used to seeing it a, presented a different way that it ended up being kind of funny to watch that. But you know, awesome career, great Booker. He booked during an unbelievable time in New Japan history. He's he's a, a, a you know a Japanese wrestling Hall of Famer for sure. Um, you know that's that's what it is. That's what I had on uh, had on Choshu. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but there's another one where I was trying to learn, um, sort of about him. And so as I was going through and doing a little bit of understanding about him, you know, I kind of, <laughs> so the one thing that stuck out to me is that he was like the proprietor, like the foremost person of the sharpshooter or the scorpion deathlock. Um, he was like the first person to use it. He popularized it. Uh, and that he was really just a super influential person through the 80s and 90s. He bounced around a little bit, um, left and came back, left and came back. Uh, and, uh, yeah, certainly a well-decorated, and I think deservedly so, um, in the top 100 as far as his accolades and what appears to be his influence on the Japanese wrestling scene. So. Yeah, also, uh, Choshu was a uh, three-time IWGP heavyweight champion, uh, tag team champion three times, uh, NWA North American tag team champion. Uh, he was also a uh, WWF international heavyweight champion uh, one time. Also won the, G, uh, the G1 in 96. So, yeah, I mean, a decorated, respected wrestler. Uh, he actually won Best Booker uh, Award from The Observer in 92. Uh, he was wrestler of the year in 87 and he was inducted into the observer hall of fame in 1996. Uh, yeah. And promoter of the year, th three years in a row, promoter of the year, 95, 96 and 97. Yeah. Yeah. Suck on that. Sean Michaels. Exactly. Um, well, if you, if you want to see, I actually watched this match again last night. It's really good. If you, if you're looking to get a little more information on, on Choshu look, man, there's a match against tiger mask on, on YouTube. Um, it's called, it was at an event called exciting wars. It's from 86. Go check that out, man. It's a, it's a hell of a match. All right. Down to our final two for the show. We got a uh, number 82 with 80 points switchblade jay white and i know that uh mongoose he's the one that introduced got me introduced to jay white i remember uh seeing jay uh on a uh, new japan show and i can't remember which one it was i believe it was uh one of the wrestle kingdoms when he came out in that all white gear for the first time uh, I remember that uh, Triggy hates him, hated him, did not want to see him. And that was the weirdest thing ever because the dude was awesome. Uh, he got insanely ripped, got into insane shape after that. And he has been in it ever since. Uh, leader became the leader of Bullet Club eventually. Uh, very decorated in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, has been in ROH a couple times, and he also is now in AEW and, and in a great role with uh, Bullet Club Gold. I mean, that group with him, Juice Robinson, and the Guns is so good, um, and, and it, it's it's so great. And I really the stuff that Jay White has done. I'm surprised that he's a little bit lower on our list, uh, but the dude is awesome and. 
Uh, what do you got for him, uh, Mongoose? So uh, my my Jay White introduction uh, came at the it was it was Kenny Omega because at that time mostly everything that I was consuming New Japan wise was Kenny Omega centric uh, because it was off at the heels of the first Okada match. Uh, and then the second Okada match, I guess that would have been in Dominion, sort of been after that. Um, and this would have been whenever he called to the ring, Switchblade. Yeah. Switchblade. And, and Jay came down and they offered him a Bullet Club shirt. And, uh, you know, Jay gave him the double birds because he was a Chaos member at that time. And um, all that ended up doing was. Kenny versus Jay White. Kenny put Jay White over. Uh, and I mean, if, at that time, you know, Kenny was on his ascension to, you know, be the top guy in New Japan. Um, and so him putting Jay White over literally was putting Jay White over uh, because they don't book there for the the way that like the, the hurricane beat the rock, right? Where the hurricane beat the rock. But Hey, he should be on our, the, I'm sad that the hurricane's not. It's not like he really beat the rock. This would um and help that. And from there, uh, he had the turn on Okada in Chaos, joined Bullet Club. And my thing with Jay White was at first I didn't like him at all as a heel, uh, just because he was a very uh psychological worker. Yes. His matches were always going to be 30, 35 minutes. They were going to be slow. He was going to take powders multiple times throughout. You know, all these little things to get heat, scream at the crowd. Yeah. And, it, it, and at first, with me either. Like, I, I was at that, uh, you know, I was at the, the Ring of Honor New Japan show uh, with Cousin Trey. Um, and, you know, both of us were just like, oh, Jay White. Because, you know, we saw Okada beat him. Um it was an incredible match because it was an Okada match. Uh, but it was when he really, really sort of doubled down on himself. And that was when you'd said about him getting really ripped up and him growing the beard was the difference. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. The clean shaven Jay white versus bearded Jay white are like two different eras completely. The second, Heel shape, right? Where I'm this rude kind of athlete I am, and blah, blah, blah. It was incredible, man. This dude's matches are always top notch. Uh, the fact that he came to AEW, I thought that, you know, we talked on this show about where is he going to go. Um, and I thought that he would have been a great fit in WWE because of that slower style. However, the role that he's in, with the company that he's in, as long as the company's, you know, as long as the, the the captain can can steer the ship right, the fact that we still have all of these uh, partnerships and things open up with the possibilities of him interacting again with New Japan people, as well as with your, you know, Omegas, your MJFs, of course, uh, and then keeping the door open for Okada. We still have Danielson. There's a lot of people that this guy can wrestle and have five-star matches with, I think he's in over. Like, 
The guns are another one of these things where we talk about AEW, like what are they doing? There's a lot of good. And one of the goods is whoever's idea it was, if it was TK's or if it was the guys to say, let's put juice with Jay and put the guns with them. Um, whoever's idea, I applaud Tony for it because these guys are gold. The fact that the guns come out here with a Jay White cutout at every match, even for Jay White matches, when they all came out on uh, tricycles, like big wheel tricycles, riding to the ring for Jay White's match with a Jay White cutout, like, dude, I live for these things. Uh, and so, yes, Jay White is awesome. As far as current current active wrestlers, he's top 10. Um, and that's why I needed him on my list. And I am so happy that we were able to talk about him on the, on the top 100, because I think, I think that if we did this revision 15 years from now, uh, I think that instead of the eighties, he's, yeah, he's, he's a top 40 guy, as long as he doesn't let go of the rope, you know, things go well and everything match quality's too good. Characters too good. Um, I think that he is going to be a, tippity top guy so jay white is one that i have a little bit more familiarity with uh, i have watched some of the more modern njpw stuff and i saw a bit of his earlier stuff before excursion and then coming back uh and a little bit of his work with bullet club and being a top guy there um and now over here in AEW, where he's been currently placed in a pretty high position and he just feels like the kind of guy that is really an all-around kind of top, excuse me, top-tier performer. He he does everything well. I don't I don't necessarily know that he does one thing spectacularly, uh, at least in my assessment of him so far. He's he's very good in the ring, very smooth in the ring. He's very good on the mic. Um, so you can find someone who maybe has one does one thing better but I don't know that a lot of people do it all better than him. You know what I mean? And, and at a relatively young age, um, that's kind of hard to beat. So I think right now we have him at an 82, but by the time he's done, you know, whether that's staying with AEW, hopefully he does, uh, or moves on to somewhere else after, goes back to Japan, goes to WWE, whatever. I think he has... Right now, he's done a lot of really good stuff um, as far as his body of work in New Japan. Um, but it feels like this, you know, the sky's pretty much the limit on him as far as where he can go going forward. Yeah, I think he's actually, for, from my standpoint, he's, I think he's a little high for where we have him on the list. Just based on accomplishments, I, would, I, I think he's a 90s guy right now, but I, I completely agree with you, man. Like, we look at this 10 years from now, even five years from now, he could be a top 40 guy. There's no question about it. Um, but I, I do think that he's in the right spot in AEW. I don't I don't think it would have been smart for him to go to WWE because what on their weekly shows, they kind of just throw people out there to do sometimes four-minute matches. And with his style, his style is better acclimated for AEW, where he can go out there and have as much time as he needs – 
and do his thing because it, it is it is a slow paced match build up with him and that's generally not something that I'm too interested in but with him I am and he's a top five guy for me man in, in the world you know right now you talk about current people in the world I mean for me he's he's a top five guy there's no doubt about it um my favorite match of his um Wrestle Kingdom 17 2000 it was you know the Okada match yeah the Okada match with him is just unbelievable that's that's one to go out of your way to check out yeah that one's really good uh, in some other uh, career notes here, he is the first ever New Japan Pro Wrestling Grand Slam champion, and uh, he's the fifth uh, Triple Crown champion. So uh, he was a World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, he was a heavyweight, ch- uh, the World Heavyweight Champion, Heavyweight Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, the Never Openweight Championship, and the uh, U.S. Heavyweight Championship. So uh, one of the few that have done that. So. I mean, whenever you get the whenever you get the call to do that, like you know, like you're a special talent. All right, and our last one on the list, and I saw who it is. I am so excited to talk about this guy. I love number 81 with 80 points, John Bradshaw Layfield. And I absolutely adore jbl uh whenever in my world of whenever i like whenever i was a kid wrestling it was right as his character changed into the jbl character outside of bradshaw which i mean the bradshaw character was pretty good with farouk uh in the tag team of the apa the acolytes uh it was pretty good they always had the skits backstage where you had to walk, you had to open the door and they were always sitting there drinking beer and playing cards, like incredible. Uh, but whenever they really leaned into the actual John Layfield, the the person who was, you know, on Fox News and Fox Business about how you can make all this money. And then they actually rolled that into a character and he comes out as this great American hero and a wrestling god. It was so perfect. Now, uh, some of the stuff that he did with Eddie Guerrero will not uh, does not age well, um, nor was it really aged well whenever it actually happened either. But the stuff that Layfield did for a guy to be, you know, a career tag team guy and for him to reinvent himself into, you know, just an extension of who he really is as a person and then come back and be on that SmackDown brand whenever smackdown was competing with raw in the real in the original brand split and to be the leader of that um is was awesome and you know he had uh luther reigns at one point who was a lackey uh they had uh, lando jordan at one point now like those names did not last the test of time but they were pretty awesome group together um the one match uh and i know that we're uh I mean, there's we're probably going to review at least one of the shows that he's on uh, coming up here soon. But, you know, anything that he did with Guerrero was fantastic. Uh, anything from that 2000s Paul Heyman era of uh, SmackDown is great. Um, but, yeah, what do you guys have uh, for JBL other than that? He's the best damn wrestler on this list so far. Yeah, I, I think JBL sucks. <laughs> like I, like and, and, and the, the fact that he's in front of people that he's in front of is irritating but look man it's the way that it goes like so 
I I'm not going. This is not an attack on you, John. This yeah. is this is just me stating what frustrates me is that he is a career tag team guy. Um, he was never able to take off on his own. And the only time that he got a shove was because there was no one else to give a shove to. And all of his quote unquote good stuff is because he was with better workers. Um, and that I, he sucks, man. He's, he was a bully in real life. Um, he is in real life, a shoot bully. On the mean note, bringing the, uh, the chairs out of God on. Um, he was rotten to Mauro Ranello. Uh, he's a terrible commentator. Um, yeah, dude, like I, I have nothing good to say about JBL. So I, I wipe my ass with this one. But good for you, John. Congratulations for making the list. I mean, he did he did win best gimmick in the Observer newsletter in 2004. I mean, there the guy was it's, a, it's not, a good gimmick. It's a, dude, it, it it's a good gimmick, but whether, you know whether what? Or not, so so was the you, so was the body Donna's. Well, and we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have skip I mean, look, on this, this guy, list. He guy was the WWF champion. He was intercontinental champ, U.S. champ, hardcore champ, European champ. I mean, he's he has done a lot. He's done a lot as a singles guy. Now, whether whether or not you're you're you're, I don't think you're wrong about anything that you're saying. But when you're looking just at at, at accomplishments, the guy's got a pretty good list. I think that a lot of that list comes from him being shoot best buddies with Bruce, Bruce Pritchard. Well, I mean, I, we can say that about everybody in, in the history. Of I mean, uh, we can't, we, we can, we can, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know many, I don't know many people that look back at that ruthless aggression era besides John and say like, my God, give me JBL again. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, like, I, I just, I just, I just think he's a shit stain, man. I, I, and, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to, to dump on the end of, of our show here today with this, but I, I just, I just think that, that this guy sucks. I love, I love Justin Hawk Bradshaw, man. When he first came out with the cowboy thing and in the, the, the big lariat and he was a little trim at that point, man, I freaking love that guy. You know what the problem is here, Andretti, no one else loved it. You and Conrad Thompson loved Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Everybody else sucks. (laughs) But that's, but that's my thing is that like, I, he he didn't get over until they put him in a suit and cut his hair and said, "Hey, go say all kinds of racist things to the Mexicans." Like I guess, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I, that's fine, <laughs> whatever. Good this on you, JBL. This is where there's going to be there's growth in your fandom over the course of time because when we do this again in two years or five years or whatever it's going to be. There's he's not going to be ahead of Kobashi. He's not going to be ahead of some of the other guys that we uh, that we had on the list that are a little lower tasks or, you know, people that are a little lower than him. But uh, look, for for what it is, man, this is where he landed. And, you know, not my favorite guy in the world, not my favorite wrestler, not my favorite person in the world. But, you know, at the at the biggest promotion in the world, which is the one that matters the most to the fans. You know, especially here, the guy's got the guy's got a pretty good resume on paper, and I can't I can't hate on him for that. 
I, I, and I will, I will, I will agree with you there. I, and, and again, I, because just be, because especially he was ranked so high on two lists. Like I do not mean to demean anybody else's list. I just think of like, Oh my gosh. Like whenever, whenever I think of JBL, like I would, I would rather drink toilet water than talk about JBL. <laughs> oh my gosh. Outside of him being an, a terrible shoot human, his I love his gimmick and his everything about him on WWE TV. Um, <laughs> I know this is not a popular pick among some people, or at least it's a goof pick. Um, but, you know, I, I think about it from the times when I bopped back into wrestling. Um, and one of those times was around this time period where JBL was a top guy. Um, is he the greatest worker in the world? No. Is he the greatest human in the world? I'm not sure that he is. Um, but over his entire body of work, he was um, he was a, a pretty darn good talent. And even someone at the time where I didn't know anything about wrestling, it was very easy to hate him and hate him to a level that still stays with me today. Um, and stays with a lot of people today. I still think there's people in this group who still don't like him uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, he just plays an arrogant douchebag so well. Um, and I mean, he's kind of an iconic character from that era uh, where there wasn't, I don't want to say there wasn't a ton of iconic characters from that era because there were, but it was sort of that nascent John Cena, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, like, it was before they really got kicked into gear. And I think in, in some ways he actually really made John Cena um, with some, you know, some, with a feud that they had and a title switch, his first world title. Um, at the very least he helped him along. So, and he, you know, I just think he, he's one of those iconic characters and, you know, you, you can separate the art from the artist, which is not always okay or you can do. Uh, he's one of those people where I think him being a bit of a dirtbag uh, as a human played into him being, you know, number 81 on the list. But look, man, I, look, this is this. Is, you got to look at it as an opportunity as a fan, too, where, you know, you got a guy that's that got a lot of points with us to, to, to get him into the top the top 80, you know, or, or you know, top 81. Um, is he is he better than you know some of the guys that we have ranked lower? No, he's not. Should those guys be ahead of him? Probably, you know. But that's where you just gotta you gotta just explore more and be more you know be more into the international product over the course of time and check everybody out and, and watch wrestling from all over the place and then you'll see that that people are pretty good. And and it should be stated too that the nice thing about our list or the cool thing not the nice thing the cool thing about our list is that we have four people that rated people and two of us uh, there it's split two and two with like eras of this time. And the cool part is, is that or the product, maybe not sport is that your childhood really dictates how you feel about things going forward. You know, that you're it's, it is a sport built on nostalgia and so I, I, I again want to reiterate that I am not at all saying that that the, the uh, ruthless aggression era folk that are in here are wrong 
because when I talk about how much I absolutely adored, um, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking somebody ran, uh, I don't know. Nikolai uh, Volkov. Yeah. Or, or even, or even like, um, like a hillbilly gym or something like that. You know, John, John's going to say, yeah, like I remember him. Me, you know what he wouldn't remember. Uh, he could say, I saw him coming out on pay-per-view with the Godwins and clapping his hands and stomping his feet. Right. to uh, age one of a childhood versus another, because that's the thing that's really going to determine your trajectory as a fan. Um, but my God, dude, this, this guy, this guy. <laughs> we knew that this was going to happen. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's, and that's what's okay about it is that this, this list shouldn't be us high-fiving each other the whole time. Exactly. It, and, and all lists are meant to be debated. And so it might have taken us 20 people to start to, I don't even want to say debate, but to, you know, to have a little bit of a, a brush up on. And there's going to be more as we come up through. So that's that's all good. And look, 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 man, just just in this 10 alone, I got three in there because they were really high on my list that you guys weren't super familiar with, right? And there's right. nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Or, you know, other people got in that I didn't have anywhere anywhere on my top 100. And, and look, it it is what it is, man. That's why it's so it was so cool to come together and everybody give their perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Bless the child. And so that concludes uh, our 10 for today. That was 90 through 81. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with 80 through 71. And uh, I, I I looked ahead at the list here and it looks pretty good. I'm pretty fired up for that list. Uh, there's a lot of guys in there that uh, some guys that we've mentioned a little bit so far. So uh, pretty excited about that. So uh, well, I think what's good too is what we're starting to get into now are the people that everybody's put on their list. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome because now we all can have disc. We can, either agree or disagree and we can get really get into it. Amen. Amen. Uh, But yeah, make sure that you check out everything that we're doing over here on the pod scheme. Make sure you check us out on all of the podcasting platforms. Uh, You can catch us out on YouTube as well. We got figure reviews up there. We also have hot shots wrestling. Uh, That'll be the show next week. Uh, We are, on the way to WrestleMania. We only have three more shows in total left of that. And then we're done with hot shots for the year. So uh we concluded with summer or survivor series, and now we're on our way to WrestleMania. Uh make sure if you didn't hear 100 through 91, you go back and listen to that. Uh check out each little individual piece as well on the YouTube channel. Uh, and also check out that's so dolphins talk. Um, make sure you follow uh, the Cambria County Corner on uh, Instagram. And then uh, we got the uh, social media hater, uh, Teddy Mongoose. You will not find him on any social media, probably the same way that you shouldn't find Tony Khan on any social media. And with that, we will see you next time on the Podski.